Warning, this podcast should not be downloaded using government equipment, listened to during duty time, or sent to others using government equipment, because this podcast has the potential to suggest actions to be taken in support or against legislation. Do not use your government email address or government phone in contacting your lawmakers. Hello and welcome to the AFGE Young Podcast. My name is Gilbert Gollum and I'm your host for today. I'm joined by AFG A-Power Committee Chair Dennis Chong, and today we'll be discussing the newly formed AFGE Power Committee and the API Community in Labor. Our guest, Seta, couldn't make it today. Unfortunately, her dog died today, so we're, we're very sorry that that happened, um, and we wish her the best. To start things off, how, thing, how are things going, Dennis? Uh, hello, I'm so glad to be here. My puppy is here right next to me as well. She might bark, especially if the mailman comes. Um, but I am, you know, I'd like to say, like everyone who who does this, how are you doing? I would love to say I'm doing awesome, terrific, and I'm excited. I definitely am excited. However, I am coming to today's uh, podcast recording uh, with having COVID. Um, and I am going to do my best to mute my coughs for the listeners out there. But uh, I have COVID. Uh, my son is sick with COVID. Um, my wife is traveling overseas, uh, working uh, 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 in Poland for the Ukrainian humanitarian crisis. Oh. And I'm solo parenting. Um, I'm also running for local president. Uh, and that's just an added uh, thing I have to deal with. So yeah, I'm pretty run down. But you know what? I am excited to be here. And I'm going to... Yeah. Give it my all, and I'm I am just uh, really stoked to talk about this subject. Oh, your wife works for you said you before your wife works for USAID, right? Yes, indeed. Yes, and uh, uh, you, you know, interesting tidbit I learned last night. Sorry, this is off to the side. Uh, I learned that USAID developed uh, a child hunger. I mean, they developed a food for a child hunger program in the Philippines called Nutribun. And that it was revived back in 2020 to to help with ch- uh, to help with child poverty or child nutrition. Kind of yeah. side thing, but a cool thing I learned I learned about USAID. Yeah, I mean USAID is such a small part of. <laughs> we're not here to talk about USAID, but I do want to say just a plug and shout out my wife, who's awesome uh, in in what she does. Um, she, you know, like it's soft diplomacy. You know, we we know that there's hardline diplomacy. Um, there's a softer way to do it. And it's a very small percentage of our, you know, U.S. budget, but yeah. um, you know, a little bit of that goes a long way uh, in, in establishing, you know, the 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 leader that we are in in the world. I know we've definitely taken a step back um, with with uh, other countries respecting us, but hopefully we can get back to a place of being like the the worldwide leader in 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 how things should be done in in the world. I agree. I agree. Okay. So. So. Uh, Let's start off with the uh, start off with a little bit more intro. What uh, what's your local, your title, and with your ethnicity? I was gonna say current eth- ethnicity, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, uh, it's it's not fluid. <laughs> um, it's it's I was born with it, and I will stay with uh, Korean American. So yeah, I mean, just a little bit about myself, and this I guess it's gonna kind of be like a fireside chat because it is like you and me just on the podcast, and I would prefer it to be kind of like conversational than like you know too scripted yeah. um 
I'm a believer of informative uh, entertainment. And so I hope that this is entertaining for people who are doing dishes, driving their car uh, or whatever it is. Um, But I am Korean American. I was born in Korea. I came to the U.S. when I was two. And uh, I lived in Portland, Oregon, New York, Florida, and now in Virginia. And I uh, joined my my local AFGE um, in, so I I work for Social Security, and I'm in local 3615. Shout out to my uh, local 3615 uh, members. And um, I have been there, I've been in SSA for about 11 years now, and I've been with the union for about six, because when I first started, I didn't, I really was one of those, like, I'm a lawyer too, and I just felt that I didn't need AFGE, but then I realized I really do need AFGE. And I joined the labor movement, or I joined AFGE because, like a lot of people, like I just had a bad manager who was micromanaging and was just um, harassing. And um, my local president, Barbara Jackson at the time, uh, did a great job helping me out. And um, I've been a steward since, and then I ran for vice president. And like I said, I'm running for um, for president, and we will know uh, this time next week as to whether I continue on or if I uh, find another avenue for my uh, social justice warrior <laughs> uh, itch. Uh, oh, yeah, sorry. One more thing. Ahead. You went on ahead of there. Oh, no, it's totally fine. That, that was good uh, flow. I, mean, I, I was totally going like, to say, managers make the best organizers is what, or bad managers make the best organizers is what they say. That's yeah. You know, I got. A, I have a saying which is like, managers manage, but leaders lead, and we need more leaders, not managers. Like managers, like manage workflow and work product, but we yeah. need people who are more sympathetic and more, uh, you know, uh, leaders of people. Um, because that humanity element is lost. I think, especially in social security, we just have too many middle managers and people who are just like you know, not uh, understanding or compassionate to, towards their employees. And that's why we have a huge attrition issue. We have oh, so much, you know, the work isn't stopping. The work continues to come through. And um, an analogy I recently made uh, in one of my manager calls was, um, it's like, if if we feel overwhelmed, it's kind of like we're like, you know, Lucy in that classic I Love Lucy episode where she's got the conveyor belt of chocolate coming through and she's just trying to stuff all the chocolate in her mouth because she can't, can't keep up and that's how a lot of our employees feel um they just feel overwhelmed because the you know the backups aren't coming because they've driven away a lot of good people but um before we get to the next thing i did want to say i totally forgot to do this at the beginning and i'm not gonna uh, i'm not gonna ask mitch uh to to edit this but uh shout out to mitch follow him on uh tiktok mitch word and <laughs> in, in and gilbert Gollum instagram um but yeah, I want to give a shout out. This isn't my first podcast. I actually did a podcast uh, several years ago. Um, so my, my shout out goes to um, Scott and the Shot Takes crew. It was a basketball podcast. I had a really fun time recording that. I was on it a couple of times. One time uh, recorded at our house. Um, so I'm, I'm really, uh, I love the podcast uh, format and the, the medium is great uh, to kind of listen to in the background while you're doing other things. Um, and so I'm, I'm just happy to be here with that. So shout out to them, uh, shout out to like my local, like I said, my, my wife for the great work she does. Um, shout out to everyone who, um, I'm, I'm, I've met through the labor movement, but, um, yeah, I'll just stop it there. <laughs> Can you forward me? Do you have, uh, do you have links to those podcasts? I do, I definitely like to listen and hear, and hear you. Yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you <laughs> offline. Um, 
And uh, I mean, you gotta love basketball to do it. Um, yeah, I think yeah. the interesting part of that of that uh, podcast was, you know how like there's like a lot of hot takes that people make on, yeah. on in sports or politics or whatever. But every time you made a hot take, every time you had a spicy little uh, nugget of uh, opinion, um, you had to take a shot or you had to take a drink. So uh, it was with a law school uh, alum. I guess they're now alumni, but they were law school students, and uh, they were yeah. my. They were from my law school. Uh, I went to William and Mary Law School. Shout out to my William and Mary Law School friends. Um. So so that was a really fun podcast to. Uh, to do. I will not be drinking during this podcast, um, especially, I mean, even if I wasn't <laughs> under the influence of COVID, um, it is in the middle of the day, so. Well, I'll be drinking this coffee. So, coffee, so. yes. Get yeah. that coffee in. <laughs> the legal stimulant. <laughs> um, since we don't have said it, I'll kind of like just give a little background on myself, too. So, I... Yeah. I yeah, um, I would say I like I I work for TSA. Uh, I'm the local secretary for AFG twelve thirty, and I currently we don't have video, but I you know can't see. But I'm Filipino American, uh, and my story is uh, I my brother was a lead at my airport, and then he was like fired. He was like one of the best leads of all time in the air, in the airport. I'm not biased because he's my brother but he got fired for some really stupid crap. Uh, it was funny because the month, about a month before he was featured on the TSA iShare page for saving a baby on the checkpoint. Uh, cause he was, he was studying respiratory therapy. So my, my president asked me to come into, to, uh, to help with pushing title five, which were, I think might be passing today actually in the, Ooh. in the house. Uh, but yeah, looks like we'll be making the both of us will be making history in the federation. And speaking of history, what do you think are some things that uh oh, we should probably explain the the whole acronym AAPI for for the uh, for the listeners out there. So it's not just Asian Amer Asian Americans; it's Pacific Islanders too, which is right kind of a so pan ethnic pan ethnic word. Right. We want to be as inclusive as possible. Um, you know, a, lo a long time ago, it was just AA or API, Asian Pacific American, uh, Asian Pacific Islander, Asian American Pacific Islanders, AAPI. And there's also AA and HPI to include Native Hawaiians. Yeah. And Conceta Fielkowski, who couldn't join us today, she's Native Hawaiian. And uh, the reason there is such a distinction is it is important to understand that we're not a monolith. Asian Americans are not a monolith. Uh, Pacific Islanders have different uh -huh. wants and needs from from uh, Native Hawaiians who want different needs from Koreans, uh, Korean Americans, Chinese Americans. Um, you know, we see this in other um, ethnic groups too. Like, you know, you can't say like like um, Puerto Ricans or um, uh, you know um, Mexicans and you know uh, Argentinians. They're all going to have different um, uh, desires and what they want. Um, out of their, you know, uh, elected leaders in, in America. So I'm just talking about yeah. monolith because I know a lot of uh, people in politics want to consider uh, racial groups as a monolith because it's really easy for them to do that. It's really easy for uh, people to um, just go, okay, there's this one big group of people and they have this one or two big needs. 
And, um, you know, it's easy to stereotype and to typecast. Um, and that's why we have to sometimes do the hard thing and to disaggregate and to really understand that there are different needs with different communities. Yeah. I, to- I totally agree. I mean, because uh, we get lo- yeah, we all get lumped in together. But I mean, at the, I mean, at the same time, it kind of, I mean, it's still there. It's to politicians' de- detriment if they lump us all together. But I mean, like you know, the whole the term like at, does bring us together when we when we use AAPI and other things too. Right. No, um, absolutely. And and the other thing I wanted to add to that is like we're also treated like a monolith, like we're all like, you know, and, and I hate this term, but I will just use it because it's, it's used as like fresh off the boat, which I know is like a really great show on ABC with uh, those cute kids and like, uh, you know, that great um, uh, cast of Asian American uh, actors and actresses. But, um, you know, we, there are some of us who, who are immigrants um, who are born in America, who have had or first generation, second generation, third generation. And there are some of us who, who are like, who came to America when we were 14 or 15 or even like as young adults or later. And so I know for me, like I said, I was born in Korea. I came here when I was two. So I am, I don't know, I guess I'm considered first generation. Um, But, you know, we can't be treated like a monolith. Like we're all like incapable of like speaking English correctly or that we're not educated or that, you know, um, and we all don't fall in the model minority myth. Like I know different Asian, um, uh, Asian Americans of, of different countries um, and ethnicities have a difficult time assimilating and integrating into uh, American society. And, you know, we have we have seen uh, particular Asian American um, ethnicities uh, just being uh, kind of like more affected by limited English proficiency. And especially like when you say COVID, like when we say people of color are are impacted more with covid it's like you know it, it's it's you really have to see like um you know where where people are and where they're coming from and so i don't know i'm running out of steam my, my i'll blame covid <laughs> that's okay so i mean for for the viewers out there that are not familiar with you know the uh the model minority myth as a stereotype what is that what how can yeah, that be explained so- so I, there are definitely some places in the internet that you can get to where they they expand upon this a lot, and it's kind of like it is a myth, and it's saying Asian Americans have um, done a great job integrating into American society because um, they are model minorities, like they're educated and it, like they're all good at math and they're all good at you know they're worker bees. Um, but what, oh god, what, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm not good at math bring, at all. This is bringing back trauma now. <laughs> I know it's terrible, um, but you know the, the 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 reason it's dangerous. You know, like people are like, well, isn't it good to be? Isn't it a good stereotype to be um, to say that you're smart and you're good at math? Well, it's it's really doing a disservice to the communities who aren't, um, you know, well educated. Um, and I and I'm not, I really don't want to single out any particular countries, but like we can't say that all. Asian Americans have done well in this country. We really can't. There are so it's many true. communities that are struggling um, financially, emotionally, and and all that. And integration is is um, you know there's this Im- simulation. I, I struggle with my Asian American identity all the time. I have not figured oh, it God. out. Same. Um, I was doing that. I was doing that last night, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, you can email me at dennis.chung at afge.org if you have if you have figured it out. I would love to know your secrets and your answers. But um, so you know the the dangerous thing about the minor minority myth is assuming that all Asian Americans are well educated and that we don't have any issues with you know our economics and our communities, and we do. Um, and certainly not singling out one particular country at all, but like you know, we have to understand that we do have, um, even though um, we've assimilated into like white culture, um, the minority myth has also been used to basically um, counter other uh, other communities of color. So um, we see the black community, um, you know, uh, people are like, well, why, why can't uh, the black and Hispanic communities do better? Like, look at the Asians and look at the, you know, the Jewish population. It's like, it's not that easy. What you're doing is you're pitting communities of color against each other and you're trying to compare us and you want us to fight amongst each other. And that's we're weaponizing white, for racism. Was- exactly. It's the white supremacy model. And it's, you want people to, to infight and to compare against each other. And what we have to do as communities of color is say, we're not going to fall prey to those um, those deceptive acts, and we're going to think for ourselves, and we're going to support each other. And um, you know, one really prime example, you know, I know uh, this group that I'm a uh, the AFGE uh, designee to the executive board is APALA, the Asian Pacific American Labor Alliance, and that organization started 30 years ago uh, out of the like literal ashes of the Rodney King riots where you had a lot of um, uh, a lot of fighting between blacks and Asians, particularly Koreans in, in the LA area. And um, instead of getting entrenched in that uh, race war, um, Apollo and other people who, who had cooler heads were like, we need to uplift each other. We understand that there was um, violence, but we are not going to fall prey to that and perpetuate violence with violence. We're going to um, counter it with love and support and understanding. And just uh, today, uh, I mean, yesterday, um, Dallas, oh. there was okay. a Dallas um, hair salon shooting where three Korean women were shot. And um, we see, you know, the, the, the Atlanta spa shooting that happened last year. Um, there oh, are yeah. things that are happening where we have to understand, like um, Asian American discrimination is real. Um, it's it's, uh, but we have to understand, like we have to support each other in our communities. Um, and and when people ask, well, how do I support the Asian American community? Um, you know, I always go back to the time, treasure, talent model that a lot of religious organizations do, where you can donate your time by uh, volunteering for organizations. You can, um, you know, donate your your treasure by like donating your actual money to AAPI, um, Stop AAPI Hate um, related organizations. And so that's what I tell people. And I know we've gone on a great tangent, but I think we're afforded to do that in this podcast <laughs> uh, format. I, but I'll stop to there. Add to, I, was, so I just wanted to say to add to that to help with, you know, API, AAPI, I mean, to support AAI, the AAPI community. Um, you know, like, I just wanted people to know that uh, racism isn't always overt, like that. What we saw in, you know, the Georgia and in the Atlanta spa shootings, that it's, you know, a lot of people attributed it to like a sex, like a sex addiction problem, 
Um, but we all know we all knew it was right. He targeted Asian women. Uh, so like when when an Asian tells you that something is is obviously racist towards Asians, like believe us that it is because it's not it's not like racism will always say like, hey, I am. This is me. I am racism. This is. <laughs> They will not, a person that is racist will not always tell you that they are racist, right? We deal with that in EEO all the time. Absolutely. That's a great yeah. point. Great point. Oh, uh, that, and, but you already, you already asked, uh, you already answered our, our question now. What are some things that AIP, AIP, AAPI members have accomplished or done in labor? You know, Apollo is a great organization. It's a great labor organization to bridge the gaps, bridging yeah. union gaps. Yes, Bug. bridging union gaps. B U G. Go to episode one of uh, this uh, AFGE Young podcast um, to learn more about our bridging union gaps initiative. Um, and um, I will say, speaking about the number of episodes we're on, we're on episode number eight today. I think that's really awesome because eight is a very lucky number in Asian cultures. I like oh. to kind of sprinkle in random Asian things for uh, you know non-Asian. Uh, member maybe. um but uh yeah eight is kind of looks like the infinity symbol uh is a really funny random story is that um when it comes to picking out your phone number um a lot of uh i remember this one time i was getting my uh new iphone and i was at the at&t store um not a shout out to at&t which has done some uh damage to the labor movement but um they were like, yeah, this this lady over there is she's taking forever to pick her phone number. And I looked over and she's Asian American. And I was like, Yeah, I I I don't know what her deal is, but I I I wonder if it's because she's trying to figure out how many eights she can fit into uh the number, <laughs> number she wants to pick. And the guy was like, You're right, that is what she's doing. So I kind of went over and I helped out a little bit and I told her, you know, what's going on. But um, you know, it was just like one of those like really small niche like things that you know some agents know about each other <laughs> like like i just knew I, I was just like i have a hunch that that's what she's trying to do and and that happened to be right but uh, um, yeah. it's funny that you say that because my uh my friend he's he's mong um and he was talking about his email his name is chris yang chris yang is like a a very common is a very common name so but i think is eight the only lucky number or is are there other lucky numbers? Is there three? Uh, three is also three? lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Four you will not find because it sounds like death in Chinese, and so yeah. Much like uh, there is no so there are some floor there are some buildings in Asian countries where they don't have the fourth floor. They just go they yeah. skip go from three to five. But yeah, three is a lucky number. Eight's a lucky number. Yeah, I think it was either three or eight, and he said that his email routinely gets uh, solicitations to be bought from him so they so like from other chris yangs so that they can have that that number in their emails because it's because i think it's like chris yang three or chris yang eight or something it's highly coveted yeah so I that's love a, it. well shout out to chris Yang. um well yeah. you know i want i wanted to say actually about <laughs> about um you said the Hmong population for those who are not familiar Hmong is h-m-o-n-g and they are, um, I, I, I'm not very well versed in the, the Hmong population, but I know there's a large, the largest diaspora in the U.S. Uh, from the Hmong population is in uh, Min Minneapolis, I think. Min Minnesota, Min yeah. Minnesota, Minneapolis, St. Paul, or something like that. And I've always been, 
I've always wanted to go to Minnesota and uh, uh, check out that community, uh, so, you know, like just just see how how it is. And also like to go to like the, the Mall of America and go to like the world's the country's biggest state fair. Um, well, so those are Minnesota things that I would love to do. It's funny because uh, I think because uh, the Hmong population is like so, is like coming up and like so prevalent today. I, I think people don't people should know that like uh, Hmong came to America because of a, as a result of the Vietnam War. From that's right. Yes, yeah. the, the CIA recruited them to fight in Laos, and then when when we lost the war, they had to airlift them out to keep them from. Is it from or is it Cambodia? Is it Laos or Cam- Cambodia? Yeah. I can't remember, but yeah, airlift them out to get them, you know, as a role. They're 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 entry into the United States as a result of U.S. imperialism. So, ah oh, man, well, you, you, that's definitely uh, we <laughs> see that in other communities as well. Um, we all have our ways that our an, our ancestry came into the U.S. Um, you know, we of course know like uh, the black population. It was just horrendous how they came in through slavery out not out of their own accord we have definitely seen imperialism we've seen refugees you know america for the longest time has been a place where we all like other countries wanted to be like us kind of talking about us going back to being like a leader in in the uh, free world democracy um i know my my mom and dad they came here because my dad wanted to get an education the the american college degree and uh graduate degree was stronger than in korea and yeah. um, now, of course, we see uh, Korea and Japan having like better K through twelve education systems. Yeah. But the American college education system is still really strong. And um, when it comes to the reasons people came here, I mean, we all have our stories, and that is what makes us unique and human. And yeah. the other thing is, like, I wanted to add about the immigrant mentality. Uh, I mean, about immigrants is like my mom and dad. They they did the like we grew up like lower middle class. He did everything he could to put food on the table while going to school, while working. And um, my mom was working too. And, you know, through really hard times, which I don't think you're going to have to uh, have me uh, invite me to another episode for me to talk more about that. But um, I just (laughs) want to talk about how, you know, immigrants inherently do have a scarcity mentality because they have to scrap for everything. And, you know, it's like we can't we can't blame people for having that type of mentality because. They're mistrusting of the system, the institutions. They're in a new country. They're trying to figure things out. They most likely came to that particular area of the country, like the Hmong population, like because one person said, oh, it's, it's actually great over here. So why don't you come over? And so there's almost like a caravan before that became a political word, um, a caravan of people who all go to this one area of the country in the U.S. And um, so I, I, I got to say, like, uh, I understand my Asian brothers and sisters who are, you know, like grew up in immigrant households and there is a scarcity mentality and that can definitely lead to a lot of like hoarding of resources. But, you know, what I, what I try to do as, as a father of two young children and living in, you know, I'm Korean American and I'm, um, like, you know, I live in a suburb, a suburb in, um, you know, Alexandria, Virginia is like, you know, we have to do our best to, when you do have resources and when you do have, uh, you know, a good support system is to operate under an abundance mentality and to really understand that there, there, there doesn't have to be fighting for every little thing because we're all in this together. I agree. Uh, so 
Let's see, where where are we here? Uh, oh, where are we? About... We're so like tangential. Yeah, I know the tangent. I love the tangent. It's great. No one's gonna <laughs> listen to this anyway. It's all yeah. Good. Um, I think a lot of people are gonna listen to this. I'm gonna push this. Oh man. Uh, so uh, let's talk about uh, you know when we first met. I know you. Were, we'll talk about the history of us before we move into this next question. Uh, we, when we first met at a legislative conference, I think I spoke. And then you had you had approached me like right after I spoke, and saying you wanted to connect because you know we didn't have we didn't there weren't a lot of other Asians and you told me like usually you're like the only other Asian in the room and I've, I've and I when you talk when you told me that I felt the same way like I'm usually the uh, the only Asian person in in AFGE events like doing things unless I'm running my own event at like my local or something or on the West Coast, um, but. You know, something that I've always thought about is like, why do you think the number of activists of AAPI activists are so low, and why, like, you know, why are there so few of us of people like us? You know, I, I know that that was a question that was kind of like I was ready for, but I think there's a little bit of a uh, way to approach that question, which is, mm -hmm. why is it that the amount of AAPI activists in AFGE are so low? Because when you look yeah. at a great, uh, strong union like SEIU, where they have a lot of uh, Asian American um, representation, not just at the member level, but at the leadership level, it's because they do have a critical mass of Asian Americans and, you know, AA and HPI, where they are well represented and they have the ability to vote uh, in mass and vote for their, for their leaders who look like them and who, who talk like them. And, 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 um, and so um, I think what AFGE, so the way I would like to operate that, uh, answering that question is why is the amount of AAPI act activism in AFGE so low? And I do think that I will admit that AFGE, from my standpoint, from my limited uh, time in the International Brotherhood, is that it is very black and white. Um, you go, uh, what, you know, for those people, for those people who don't know, like the type of big ballrooms that Gilbert and I in, let's say, let's say there's 600 people. Um, <laughs> Gilbert and I, and maybe one other person will be the only Asians there. And that's a 600 person ballroom of, of leaders, of presidents, vice presidents, uh, local level, district level. So it, it really is. It's not just the membership that's low. It's the leadership that's low. And I think we do have to do some more, um, like caravanning, uh, lifting people up and just you know, setting them up for success, but we also can't do that just because, just for the sake of diversity. We have to, you know, have people who are ready to step into leadership positions and who are able to, you know, lead um, not just the Asian uh, brothers and sisters, but the entire labor movement forward. And so, um, why is it low? I think that we have to do more outreach. Um, we also can't put the burden or the uh -huh. onus on AAPI uh, uh, members. Yep, totally agree. Um, we have to understand that maybe someone says no once or twice, or maybe you don't even ask them. But I think what's good to do is to respectfully continue to pursue uh, people to know that they're wanted and that it is all about the solidarity and the unity principles that we talk about a lot. Um, you know, the injury to one is an injury to all. Uh, again, it's like hard to sometimes explain that to someone who you know is is um you really like i don't want to talk in such a stereotype like i know what what all asian americans want 
think the important thing is to listen, see what they want, uh, see what a particular member in your local wants, and seeing how you can sell them on the idea of why union membership can be a value-added benefit to them. Um, so I think that's a way to to uh, to attract more Asian American members who can then become Asian American leaders. That said, why uh, go back to the original question of why do I think maybe the amount of API activists and labor in general are so low? I think I do have a working theory, and this really is a theory. It is not rooted in any facts or data. No, I love um, this stuff. I love theories. All right. Yeah, all right, here we these go. Are hot, so, these are where hot takes come from. I remember, you know, in a prior episode, uh, they were talking about how there has been a violent history of labor in the U.S., um, and that's true. Like in the, uh, you know, we know about the Pinkertons and the scab strikes and and all of this uh, physical violence, uh, not just to labor activists, but also in the civil rights movement. But, you know, in today's world, that violence is still happening in Asian countries. So we still yep. have people who operate like Trump in, um, and I'm going to say his name because I know this is not a political podcast, but like he's also not Voldemort. You can say his name. Um, but like, you know, Duterte <laughs> in the Philippines is like an Asian Trump, right? And um, there's a lot of people who strike down um, uh, labor activists in other countries, even in Korea. I remember in the 80s when I would go and visit my, my family over there just for like the summer, there would be demonstrations, labor movements where people are all striking and wearing the same stuff. And they're being tear gassed and they're being water cannons and rubber bullets. And I just remember the sting of that tear gas and being like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And my uncle being like, this is a, a labor demonstration. We've got to get out of here. Like there's about to be, you know, um, uh, two by fours uh, or you know, like just people being uh, hit and fought, um, fighting each other. And so I think when it comes to now, those are Asian countries. Those aren't Asian Americans. Those are, are Asian you are you referencing the, uh, I know, I know that uh, in Squid Game, that was, a pop, that was a reference to a popular labor demonstration in, in South Korea. Uh, okay. It was like a, it was like an auto industry, it was like a car manufacturer strike. I don't know, that was like, ah, oh God. Camera oh, no, I know what you mean. I love, I mean, Squid Game, I mean, just... Squid I, Game. I mean, oh my gosh! I, I this is not a Squid Game podcast, so I won't delve into that and Parasite and Minari, which I just saw recently. That made me just like completely lose myself. Um, but it's funny because yeah. I just recently watched all, all those at the same time too. <laughs> Incredible! I just I, I'm so proud of my Korean American, um, <laughs> my brethren uh, and sisters who are just doing some awesome things in entertainment. Uh, having said that, yes, there there was that angle. I mean, Squid Games was all about like how. The system is designed to for us to uh, f literally physically fight each other, and that we need to, yep. you know, figure out how not to. But um, I think that's why it resonated with so many people. But yes, that was a, a car manufacturer strike, uh, labor infighting. There was a lot of physical violence, and so that still happens in modern day in these other countries. And like my parents, like you know, they were immigrants, and they want the best for their kids, so they don't, they wouldn't want me to be in the labor movement in America because all they know is labor equates violence in, in, in Korea yeah. and in other countries. So that's why, you know, who, what, what parent wants to beget, you know, uh, violence uh, for their kids. They don't, 
But we have to understand in America, at least in the modern labor movement, we're not, you know, like what is the worst they could do to me? They're, they can't physically hurt me. Yes, they can fire me, which they won't because I'm a model employee, but they can't do anything to me. So um, I'm going to fight. And even if they could physically hurt me, like I, I want to be there on the front lines fighting for my members. Ooh, so, ooh. You put, yeah. you get me energized, dude. You get me energized. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. I, I, I just want more Asian Americans to understand. Like we're, yeah, we're, we, we have to, if we don't want to be just considered worker bees and we want to be leader bees, we have to show that we have leadership skills and that we're going to take, um, you know, that we're going to take, uh, take it to the next level and really, you know, like push ourselves forward. Um, you know, we're just, you know, talking about middle minority myth. There's also this thing called the bamboo ceiling where Asian Americans are considered, you know, not able to communicate well and they don't have interpersonal skills. And so the, you know, when it comes to the CEOs and like these leadership positions in government or private industry, Asian Americans are very, uh, uh, lowly represented. And so we need to do our part to try to make it a hard decision for the ultimate decision white makers, the white supremacists or whatever, to be like, okay, like we have very well qualified individuals. So again, like I love that we now have a female black uh, Supreme Court justice, and this is not a SCOTUS blog uh, podcast, but yeah, I, I can't wait for there to be an Asian American justice up there too, uh, because we know that America looks like uh, we need a you know, executive, legislative, judicial branch. We need all of, all of those branches uh, with people who look like America. Yeah, totally agree. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think uh, another thing, you know, for bringing up, I know, I know it's a stereotype, but you know, but it's also, you know, partly true. Like a lot of Asians can be like conflict diverse, and I think that's, I think that's a big part of like not wanting to engage that's a big part of not wanting to engage in union activities and i i think i was a lot like that before i started i was very conflict diverse and i just wanted my union union to settle things away from away from that or away from me being you know participatory but is that a word but uh yeah no absolutely it is and and i i would love to speak to that which is to say i know growing up my parents always told me to respect authority in in very, you know, in the Confucian society model, you yeah. know, you respect God, your parents and your teachers equally, or like in that order. And so teachers and authority, authority figures are seen, are, are regarded very highly. And so yep. we bring that mentality into the US and we are, you know, like supposedly like so obedient or we're going to keep our heads low. You know, uh, there are these sayings of like, you know, don't be the nail that sticks out. Otherwise you're going to get hammered down. and what I think I've come to realize is um, there's I, I there's a lot of my Asian American identity that I love, both the Asian and American parts. Um, but there are things that I can like, thankfully, luckily, like pick and choose. Um, I can really like there there can there can be things that I can say this resonates with me and this doesn't resonate with me. And yeah. for me, I was conflict averse for so long. I was the person who was just like more of an introvert and I think getting married to an extrovert I've become more extroverted but I really have realized like I have to um, stand up for myself because again with that bad boss and the reason being in the union I think that workplace bullies target those who they think they can get away with that bullying behavior they go after people who are perceived to be weak not who are actually weak 
but people who are perceived to be weak, who they perceive to be weak. So we need to understand that bullies aren't going to get away with uh, certain things. And that, I think, what has allowed me to really find my voice and speak up and speak out, uh, not just for myself, but for others. Oh, yeah, that's very, that is very beautifully put. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so speaking about the, about our work in AFGE and uh, the things that we do, let's talk about our constituency group, AFGE Power. What's it all about? Yeah, so um, Gilbert did not put this in his intro, or if he did and, and I missed it, I'm, I apologize. But uh, Gilbert is our secretary for this uh, three-person uh, executive board for APOWER. Um, it's myself as the, as the chair, Seta, of course, uh, sorry she couldn't be here, as the vice chair, and Gilbert as the secretary. And it's, that's the three people. And APOWER stands for Asian Pacific Organized Workers Empowering Representation. And... Um, this is a constituency group that is not just for uplifting AAPI concerns, but also uh, getting more visibility for AAPI within the labor movement and welcoming allies. Um, it's it's similar to we have, um, you know, Black uh, B L A C K is the uh, is the acronym. I don't have the actual definition off the top of my head right now. Hisco is the Hispanic one. L E O is law enforcement. Young. Um, People who listen to Young will know that from the podcast title, AFGE Young. But we're just uh, the newest uh, constituency group. And I think it's just about time that we had it. I mean, uh, we I, it's, it's a if you build it, they will come scenario where we need to uh, create this tent. Um, uh, we, well, we need to basically understand that AFGE is a large tent and we want our Asian brothers and sisters to come find us. And so a power is kind of like the GPS to say, hey, we're over here. There's enough room under this tent for you all. Please come and join us for this awesome labor movement and we will make you feel welcome. So a power is that welcoming table in the tent of AFGE. And so um, I'm really excited to get this going. Uh, we were only just recently. Um, sorry, I'm like running out of breath with COVID. Um, we recently uh, had uh, the uh, we a resolution passed with the National Executive Committee last November for us to become a permanent constituency group, and in our national convention coming up in June, which by the time this recording of the podcast lands, it'll be a month from then, where we'll be asking for funding like these other groups, and it is uh, very much uh, a thing where I see it as we want to increase the entire pie of, uh, uh, and getting more AAPI members as opposed to like taking away from the pie from other people. What I want is for us to understand again, not a scarcity, not a scarcity mentality, but an abundance mentality. Um, and I know a lot of people have a real big issue with, well, how do we, you know, we don't want to give more money to other groups because then we're going to run out of money. But I think that if we all understand that we are trending upwards and better with, with, uh, uh, having better stewards of our money and, tr and, more trust there is with how the money is spent, I do believe that the money that's going to be allocated or divested into a power is going to be well well worth it and it's going to return dividends uh, upon that investment. So a power is the newest, I won't say the greatest because it's just going to be the 
I want us to be treated as equally as everyone else. I think they're all great. I think all of these constituency groups are great. I think there's enough room under the tent for all of us. And I welcome everyone to join us, whether you are of Asian descent or whether you're an ally. Uh, you answered like all the next three questions. <laughs> yeah, sorry. All the next three questions. <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah, I think I, I agree that it, inclusion is is necessary in this, in the Federation. And I think that, um, I, I mean, the question the last question was basically there are many who think that AFT does not need a constituency group and you answered it does not need constituency groups like a power Hisco and black. And you totally answered that, that we wanted, you know, to have, uh, the welcoming, you know, welcome people into the tent, but I, you know, in the Federation's interests, inclusion will lead to organizing of more AAPI members, like more dues paying members and make us stronger as a whole. And, you know, like, and we'll make and we'll make Asian Americans and uh, Pacific Islanders, Pacific Islander members want to be a part of the union or be at, or even better, like be active within the union, because you know, getting kind of tired of being like the only a active person in the whole West Coast here. So, right, and and, so, and <laughs> you know, uh, kind of going back to that question about why is there such low AAP participation in, in the labor movement. Um, I actually, if you Google, like, I forget what exactly I Googled, but, um, you know, I, I basically found out there's a BLS, uh, U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics thing where it says that, um, I think it was like 22% of... Shout out to our BLS. Shout out to BLS. Thank you, BLS. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. BLS. So my Google search was, which labor unions have the largest AAPI um, population and one of the very first ones that popped up was this uh, bls uh summary from 2021 so just a year ago where it does talk about the, i don't even know yeah i even know they yeah. have this data what the hell <laughs> i'm gonna drop this knowledge on folks uh yeah uh you know informational entertainment so um you know it makes sense that the, the new york and hawaii have the largest um union representation among aapi because they have you know some of the largest um AAPI populations uh, in the U.S. What yeah. a lot of people don't know is the D.C. Uh, the DMV area, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, is actually like the second highest for like Korean Americans. It's it's one of the most diverse areas in the country. Again, not Washington D.C. proper, like you know, uh, inside the city limits. But if you combine the suburbs of you know um, Northern Virginia, Southern Maryland, and you combine all that, you do get a really wide range of um asian uh representation and so i and we know that we do have asian americans who are federal employees we just need to bring them into the tent like i said and again um not treating everyone like the same or monolith like they might be first generation or they may be third generation but i know that when it comes to labor i've heard a lot of these speakers in prior episodes and they're like oh i come from a union family it's like well I didn't come from a union family because my, my family, they were immigrants, right? They didn't have union yep. jobs. So union wasn't discussed at the dinner table. I, I, I can't, I look forward to having that as a discussion in, at my dinner table with my kids, but um, it wasn't some, it wasn't something that was talked about. And so um, I do want to say like Asian Americans are in the federal government. Um, we also have to do a better job of data collection, not just like the agencies, but also like AFGE once we can collect the data and we can't go off of just the, like last names, 
like for instance, my wife is Marianne Chong. She's Irish American, but she took my last name. And a funny story is her, her, you know, pre-pandemic, her cube mate was, uh, I think her name was like Sarah Walsh and she was an adopted Korean, uh, Korean American. And they would always be confused for each other. Here's Marianne Chong, who is uh, Irish American. And Sarah (laughs) Walsh, who's who's Asian. (laughs) And they're like, you know, always confused for each other. So um, I thought that was really funny, but you know, I know that it's easy and we do have to do the hard thing, but the easy thing to do is just to look at someone's name and go, Oh, you're, you know, you're this ethnicity. And we can't do that. We have to actually like ask people, uh, collect the information, find out who they are and find out what their needs are and to meet them. We always, why do we even have this young podcast? It's just another way for us to meet our members to where they are. Right. And so, yeah. I, I see that and I, I see the work being done and I, that's why I love young and I age out of young in four months, which is really sad. I turned 40 in September, but Bro, you look um, so young. What the hell? I thought you were yeah, like, I thought you were younger age, than that. Asian genes, my brother. Yeah, I know. Um, so, uh, having said that, uh, <laughs> once you collect the data, the next step would be to disaggregate the data. There's actually a website, or, um, you know, again, you can Google for this, but like AAPI data disaggregation, and it's called aapidata.com. And that's where you can actually see it's the breaking down of the monolith. And shout out goes to uh, Christina Romine's um, staff at uh, Apollo who, who told me about this website. But if you go to that website, you can see how diverse are Asian American, uh, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander. Um, monolith is and to break us down and to say like this is what our wants and needs are um uh, very you know like breaking it down very at a micro level which i really love to see so um you know having said that like i I would encourage people to learn more about asian american um you know like studies like you know just do your own like you know we we have these great you know computers in our pockets all it takes is uh, you to just have a desire or want to learn more and then you can just kind of uh, learn uh, you know as much as you want so you know in this month of which I guess we haven't said earlier but you know happy uh, AAPI Heritage Month uh, in the month of May but I would love for people to learn more and I think in the government standard for AFGE our publication I, I they interviewed me and I said like they ask me what's one way for people to like get more involved and it's yes you can donate your time and your money to the asian american um uh, nonprofits. but i i also said something as 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 silly and simple as go eat go eat something diverse not just like chinese food that you always get from the same place not the same sushi place <laughs> you get but like try laotian food vietnamese food try yeah. you know like try thai food try Hmong food if you can find it you know Korean barbecue. I love Korean barbecue, but I have it a lot. I like try something totally different. Get out of your comfort zone. You know, like just do something totally also, if different. It's, if it's Vietnamese food, if it's pho, make sure it has tripe. If it if it doesn't have tripe, <laughs> I went to yeah. D- sorry. I, so I think yeah. I went to DC when I was in DC for the Lechcon. Uh, I went to a Vietnamese restaurant, and their uh, their pho didn't have tripe. They didn't carry tripe, and I was like. <laughs> Gilbert, if it doesn't have tripe, it ain't right. It ain't right. <laughs> so, um, yes, my favorite pub place is definitely in um, in the 
uh, Arlington area, Northern Virginia suburbs. I'll take you there next time you're here for a legislative conference. I would love to do Thank that. Thank you. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I just, I just want, you know, like, it's easy for us to do things that are really um, simple and things that work for us, be in our comfort zones. But I think if anything, the pandemic has taught us is, you know, like just, we have such a short life, just, you know, get out of your comfort zone, do something different, do something completely, you know, um, understand other people's point of views and just do, you know, like while staying safe, don't catch COVID like I did. <laughs> I think you just, I, I think in long form, I think you just described YOLO, Y-O-L-O. You only live once Yeah, by, by a popular rapper. Yeah. So yeah, you should get out there. Yeah, I mean, I also wanted to say, like, speaking on how, like, on people, like, going out searching, you know, Asian American history, I, I think it's like a whole, just want to let the audience know that there is a whole academic field around Asian American studies. Um, and it's quite interesting. I, I remember I took a class uh, at my university, and there's, like, just so much you can learn about. And it's Asian American history, when you learn about Asian Americans, in the US, it's, you're not just learning about Asian Americans, but you're learning about, people forget that the history of the US involves other people, not just white history, you know? Um, and, you know, the, the roots of like how Asians came, like, you know, the Chinese as like, as manual laborers early in the United States. And then after the Chinese Exclusion Act, how like, you know, the wave of, uh, Southeast Asians uh, immigrating to the United States, like that is all American history that get that doesn't get taught, and and I think that is very important for the audience to like kind of look at when they look at U.S. history. Gilbert, that, brother Gilbert, that is an awesome uh, point, and I wanted to add to that by saying, uh, again, when we we're talking about AAPIs and the labor movement, I did forget to talk about how you know, like we all know about Cesar Chavez and the grape uh, the grape strike. But yeah. that's taught in uh, even my my son, uh, my older son, who's in third grade, he's learning about that. And I love that he's learning about that. But what gets lost in that history is that there were AAPI in that uh, movement. And, um, you know, like uh, Silme Domingo, Jean Viernes, like these are Filipino Americans. Larry, Larry Leong. Yeah, right. I mean, we yeah. don't talk about that as much. And again, it's just because it's easier not to, it's simpler not to bring, bring those names up and talk about the nuances of the grape strike in California, you know, in, 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 um, with Cesar Chavez. So I, I gotta just say, like, I love that, you know, you meant you, you made that comment and, um, you know, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Oh, all right. Looks like we're, uh, being hounded here. We're, we're going to get to our, I want to, I really wish we could expand more into the history of, of Asian Americans. Maybe we can do this on another podcast. Wink, wink. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so we'll give a final one minute remarks. So what, one minute to say anything you want to say. Um, should I just do a one minute of shout outs? Should I just do that? Yeah, just do one minute shout, out, shout outs. No, it's not. I will say, um, I don't even know if this will be a minute or maybe even more, but the, the final comments I have for everyone who's listening and thank you. If you've gone this far, thank you. Uh, it's you know you know those stickers on trucks are like how am I driving? Uh, so how am I yeah. doing? Uh, if you listen, if you got this far, um, reach out to tell me whether I did well or not. Um, I I love feedback, constructive or otherwise. 
uh, dennis.chung at afge.org uh, is my AFGE email. Um, some other people have my other union and personal emails, but I would love to hear from people to see what they thought. But the final comment I want to say is um, for everyone, whether you're in the labor movement or otherwise, is to just be relentlessly compassionate. And what I mean by that is not just like, I, I think a lot of people, if they had to say, are you compassionate or not, they would say yes. But I think what I mean by being relentlessly compassionate is like dig deeper than you think you have it in you. Be more patient than you think you have in your in your well of patience. Um, really just, you know, I'm not saying that people are all like most people are surface level compassionate, but I think we like to think we're compassionate, but it's not just about being uh you know, compassionate at that first no or first ghosting or first whatever. It's about just giving, continuously giving the benefit of doubt and to just understand we're all going through different things. Um, yep. So we have to understand the humanity is what is, is what differentiates us from the corporations and from the agencies. The corporations and the agencies, we're just numbers to them. We're just production. We're just, we're just a number. But we have to, on the labor side of things, understand that we're all human and that we have to rem always remember the humanity of things. So if you're a labor leader, if you have a member who's being difficult, just be relentlessly compassionate. And I guess I do have one more thing uh, that comes to mind, which is internally within AFGE and other places, you, the infighting is, is, is horrible. It's tough. But, you know, take the fight to the system, you know, and... Like let's let's take the fight to management when when they're not doing things that they should be. And let's always continue to punch up. Don't punch down. Don't punch down to our yep. members. Always punch up. Um, take the fight to the system uh, and to the man, so to speak, um, or the woman. Um, but I, I'm so I'm so thankful that I was here and and I wasn't gonna let COVID stop me. Um, and great job, puppy, for not barking. Great job, pepper. <laughs> Um, and yeah, our thoughts are with Seta and her, and her, and her, and her dog as well. And, um, thank you so much, Gilbert, really. Oh yeah. This was actually, this was really fun. Uh, yeah. I wanted to thank you for coming, for coming. Uh, we, this, damn it. I'm reading off the script. I hate reading off scripts. So I'll just read, I'll just read it verbatim. Thank you to our guest, AFGE Power Committee Chair Dennis Chong. And thank you for listening to our, uh, AFGE Young podcast oh i wanted to add one last thing is that uh our group has a facebook group you don't have to be asian you just look up afge a power two words afge and then a power um and we'll we are admins we'll add um but uh new episodes are made available every two weeks and are streamed anywhere where you listen to your podcasts this podcast is a production of the AFGE National Young Committee Bug Bridging Union Gaps Initiative. To learn more about the AFGE Young Program, visit our website at www.afge.org young or our Facebook page by searching at young AFGE.